Good morning, Sun Valley Church, and welcome to the Voice of the Valley. I'm Jeremy Pinch, and I have uh, the main two guys in the room once again. Pastor Rick Whitmer is here, and Pastor John Schubert. It is good to see you guys. Thank you. Thank you. You're so welcome. You're so welcome. Very courteous of you. You guys took over the podcast last week. Oh, that's um, right. We did. And that's yeah. why I'm back here, because of last week's podcast. Yeah, there, so. was, there was just unrest and clamor. Yeah. There was an outcry. Yeah. yeah. It was, I, I, I caught it on Sunday from people. Yeah. <laughs> Where's that other guy that, that was doing the podcast? Yeah. The other guy. Yeah. yeah. I don't even know his name. <laughs> but he was better. You trying to burn this down? <laughs> you better not. You, you better, better not. not. <laughs> oh, it's good to be back with you guys. Um, yeah, it's good to be back. Well, we've been here, Jer. Yeah. Is this the <laughs> first time the three of us have been on since the beginning of the summer? Because yeah. you two did a sabbatical one, then John and I did this because you just were lazy last week. Yeah. Well, if you do sort of stop that question with the word beginning, since the beginning, since the we beginning. could have had fun with that and applied it to last week's sermon, but oh. you went to the beginning I'm of sorry. summer. I'm yeah. sorry. So we That was very said, theologically imprecise. Yeah. Well, yeah. biblically. It was theologically correct, biblically imprecise. <laughs> <laughs> oh, classic classic john yeah it's been it's been a few months since we've all been together but it's good to be it's good to be here mm-hmm. and uh we're we're talking about uh the art of studying the scriptures today this this all transpired from a conversation that john and i had uh just a few hours ago um in other words, we've, so we've thought, thought long and hard about yeah, this. Yeah, deeply <laughs> about this. This is... Thanks, Jer. <laughs> I was over in the kitchen grabbing a water bottle five minutes ago, and I saw that you sent me some questions. For the... Yeah. So it just came to mind. I think we should talk about it. Yeah. yeah. Oh, this is good. <laughs> so this might get interesting. <laughs> But uh, no, this this actually this came from um, some thoughts that you had from last week as you were as you were preparing your sermon. That there's there's some things that you come across while you are studying the text um, that you can't you can't bring into the sermon, or you just don't have time to, or mm-hmm. uh, it, it may not to apply to where you're going with it that Sunday. Um, so we wanted to dive into this idea of of what does it mean to study the scriptures. Okay. And, and so, you know, John, John and Rick, you guys have both used words like uh, hermeneutics, words like exegesis, eisegesis from the pulpit, from the teaching lectern. Um, people may hear that and kind of shake their heads, but n- not know what what those words mean. So let's start with what what does hermeneutics mean? And then what does exegesis and eisegesis well, mean? I'm going to start with this. Um, my dad, if he were... If I use those words with him, he used to say, you do, and you'll clean it up. (laughs) (laughs) If you bring hermeneutics into here, (laughs) or any eisegesis, you better come with a damn cloth. (laughs) So, So, no, these these are important words to the student of Scripture, right? 
hermeneutics, exegesis, eisegesis. Eisegesis, but just off the top, is bad. Eisegesis is a reading into the text. Eisegesis is taking your ideas and laying them on top or into the text to create your own opinions or to present your own opinions, to try to find support for your own opinions. That's eisegesis. Mm-hmm. It's, of course, from Greek term. And then exegesis is the opposite of that. It's drawing out of the text. It's taking what the author has written and discovering what that is and pulling it out of the text so that you can present it to whoever's listening, students in a classroom setting or you know, congregants in a church setting. Yeah. So there's a difference between eisegesis and exegesis, and one is putting into, one is taking out of. We want to be people taking out of God's Word um, for, our, for our good and benefit of our people, not putting our opinions on the text. And So so what would be an example of, of eisegesis? It's, an eisegesis thing would be like using a verse out of context, okay. Say, saying this, a verse, this verse applies to me, even though it was a promise to Israel. Okay. Uh, that's that's a, a common way to practice eisegesis. Yeah. Uh, it was just proof texting, you know. I I want to I want to do this and so you know, I'm going to interpret this text this way. Yeah. And eisegesis and a, a classic example I've used this before from the pulpit is is the guy that, you know, wakes up depressed and wants to go to the scriptures to comfort himself and he opens it up and it's the first thing he opened it to puts his finger on kind of blindly and Judas went out and hanged himself and he goes oh that can't be for me so he turned the page quickly and put his finger blindly on another one and says go thou and do likewise you know so (laughs) (laughs) that's that's one of the problems with eisegesis is you're not taking the author's intent the Holy Spirit's intent in you know inspiring the author um, for the good of the reader we're not we're not using that we're just using the word to defend ourselves or to defend our position or to whatever mm-hmm. that's not intended by the text mm-hmm. yeah you if you're conclude if the conclusions are what you start with and then you find your conclusions in the scriptures and they don't match up with you know like john said the author's intent you've done eisegesis which if it's always bad when the process of what you're doing sounds like you saying I is Jesus, mm-hmm. you know, you know you're not, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> extra Jesus. I mean, exegesis is what we're after, mm-hmm. which is what you know. The <laughs> we're pro- also and, asked after extra Jesus. Extra Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> I, I went. I tried to get that extra Jesus when I was in high school, <laughs> but I still only speak English and no other tongues. Yeah. yeah. But um, which you know, in my pursuit of that, by the way, and I'm I'm, I'm not kidding. I actually was intently pursuing the gift of tongues back in high school because my Bible teachers at my at my school were teaching me that that's what it meant to to go deeper with the Lord and I didn't have a good foundation theologically for necessarily being able to refute that and that's a great example of eisegesis mm-hmm. you know reading into the book of reading the book of acts and some of the things that happened in Acts as then being normative and expected of all of the Christian church through all ages. That isn't eisegetical. And for those who don't know that term, E-I-S, you know, that's how it starts, eisegesis. That's 
that's what gets you to that position mm-hmm. of seeking tongues today and seeking a second baptism of the Holy Spirit and some of the hallmarks of charismatic theology. That's And so I've seen firsthand just how much angst you can get your own soul into by having a bad approach to the scriptures. Yeah. And hermeneutics is the, is the art and science of interpreting scripture using sound exegetical principles. So that's how those three things relate. And science is a key word there, too. There's an art, of yeah. course, to mm-hmm. it. And an art is, is more particular to the, the student, to the one studying the scriptures. It's yeah. how do I come to this? It's an art form. Yeah. Like Rick's study might differ from mine a bit, and that's the art side of it. But it's also science. There's actually methodology that we follow in coming to the author's intent of yeah. that particular text, whatever it is. Yeah. This is, this is, eisegesis is, is one of the dangers uh, of many of topical preaching. Mm-hmm. So when, when a person comes to a congregation with a sermon, uh, and it's a topical sermon, the, the, there is a, an inherent danger in that approach to scripture, in that uh, method of teaching, yeah. and a lot of a lot of pastors use that. I've used the topical method before, on occasion when it when it's necessary, but it is really important if you're going into a pulpit with the topical sermon that you have not allowed your own coloring of the text, apply, you know, change how you interpret the text. Sure, like sure. my experiences shouldn't change the meaning of the text. And when you get into topical preaching, that's a big danger. Mm-hmm. And you see people going off the deep end a lot in topical sermons. And when uh, that happens, of course, the the congregants, the, the people in the pew, aren't really prepared necessarily as they should be to really refute that kind of teaching or to question that kind of teaching, which is why in Acts 17, the Bereans, even hearing from the Apostle Paul, search the scriptures themselves right. to see if this was in fact exegesis or eisegesis. Mm-hmm. And so we we do our best to teach expositionally um, from you know the scriptures so that what we're coming across is God's intent, God's outline, God's purposes for his people. Yeah. And yeah. I'm not saying there's never a time for topical preaching. I think there is. Good example is a, a sermon at a memorial service. You know, you you can sometimes you might need to do a topical sermon on uh, grieving or on losing loved ones or on Black death. Lives Matter riots and social justice. Yeah, like that, that we did a three week series yeah, last summer that was, on that. That was topical, but we tried to to go into the topical by grounding each topic in particular texts that then get explained, right. not yeah. proof-tested. Yeah. Sure. Right. So you can, you can avoid some of the pitfalls of, of classic topical preaching by whatever topic you're choosing, you interpret from a given text. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and, but then you start, when you start, when you're doing a topical sermon, you're usually jumping around scripture in a systematic way to mm-hmm. to come up with some conclusions that are practical and applicable to the audience. Sure. And so if you if you're not teaching expositionally through a book and you choose a topic instead, it's going to require you to to look at a systematic theology of that particular topic and mm-hmm. come up with some scripture to 
And, and that's the problem. Defend your position. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> so you, you come into a topical sermon with an opinion. Sure. Uh, hopefully, when you come to an expositional uh, sermon, you come to the text open-handed. God, what do you have for me? What do you have for us here this week as I prepare, you know, the first eight verses of Mark? Yeah. And that's huge because rarely, if ever, do you go into a topical sermon going, hey, here's the topic. I'm not sure which way this is going to go, but I'm going to study into the direction and see where it goes. Yeah, no, you you come with an opinion and you want to defend it. Whereas in, exp- in expository preaching, you almost always come into it going, I'm not sure where this is going this week, but I'm really excited to see what is drawn out of this text. Which Well, which is why a lot of expositional preachers say, you know, we're going to be studying this book or that book or whatever, and we're going to see where God takes us. <laughs> yeah, and they mean it. They mean it because they don't know yet because they haven't studied that text yet. Mm-hmm. You know, particularly, they, they may have a general idea where the gospel of Mark goes. But sure. right now, I couldn't tell you what the Holy Spirit's going to do in chapter 8 yeah. at Sun Valley. Yeah. I don't know because I haven't studied chapter 8 yet. Yeah. So, I mean, I've read chapter 8 a few times, but I've never studied chapter 8 to the detail I will to come to a place where I'm ready to, you know, bring a meal to Sun Valley Church. Sure. You can't, you can't lay out precious metals you haven't mined yet, right? right? Yeah. And so that's the idea is... Yeah. Yeah, is your mind, the exegesis is that mining process? Yeah, yeah. so I think uh, people would like to know what the process is like for you guys, John. I know you're you're starting today. Uh, your your sermon. Yeah, this is an interruption. Thank you. Is, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> your sermon prep is starting today, mm-hmm. and it will last through Sunday morning at six a.m. Yeah, yeah. It usually starts on Monday. Okay. Um, but today's Tuesday, but uh, it usually starts on Monday for me. And the first thing I do is, is look at the text. I read it over and over and over again. I read it from different translations. I read it from the original language, and I try to get a handle on where the Holy Spirit's taking this. And uh, so that's my first step is just, just immersing myself in the text. Um, and then I, of course, you know, pray as I go and ask the Holy Spirit to reveal to me what I need to learn, what I need to change, what I need to apply. And then, you know, right, right after that, pray, Lord, what does Sun Valley Church need to hear? What are some situations in our body that need to be addressed by you, the Holy Spirit, through this text? And sometimes I think of individual circumstances of people in our church. Sometimes I think in more general terms. But I always pray through each of those things. First for me and and the Holy Spirit working in my heart and through that text. And then, Lord, what do you want your people to hear at Sun Valley Sunday morning? And that prayer goes throughout the entire the entire week of study up to Sunday morning right before I yeah. preach. Yeah. Yeah. Like, like Spurgeon, you know, his famous approach to the, to the pulpit. He had 13 steps up to his pulpit um, from where he sat in the front pew, 13 steps. And each time he said, I believe in the Holy Spirit. I believe in the Holy Spirit. Every yeah. step. He yeah. said that every single time he preached at, at the tabernacle hmm. um, that he preached in. Hmm. And so that's kind of my approach. Um, 
we only have three steps, and so I say it at least three times. But uh, <laughs> which is why I'm ten times less very effective than Spurgeon. <laughs> very trinitarian of you, though. Very trinitarian. So yeah, you make so, up for it. <laughs> yeah, no, I, 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 I pray that constantly when I'm yeah. when I'm studying and preparing up to the moment I open my mouth on Sunday morning. Hmm. Yeah. So what are, what does your note taking process look like for you? Like, how do you organize the things that you're studying and put them together? In a way that well, makes when sense. I'm, when I'm a familiar, familiarizing myself with the text, I I have my word processor open, and I have a document going, and I write down ideas that come to me. Um, I have, it's actually not a word processor. I guess it's my Logos, and I have a, a notes page open in Logos. You can take notes on anything, and I just write down ideas. Like last week, for example, I wrote down things to explore and I started hmm. adding bullet points I want to explore this I want to explore and one of the things that kept coming back to me was that word beginning um, whether that was the Holy Spirit or what I don't know but it kept pinging on my radar hmm. um, yeah. and so I wanted to talk about that because I thought okay well Holy Spirit <laughs> I've been praying that you would guide me here so evidently there are there's a need to talk about Mark's beginning, John's beginning, and Paul's beginning, which go further and further back into, you know, pre-time yeah. existence, yeah. where when God was the only thing, or only one, and so that's just an example. I, I just start taking notes, physical notes. I write them down in the word processor, and and as I'm reading, studying, praying. I just keep throwing stuff in there. And, you know, by the time I, I usually have an outline by uh, at least an, an exegetical outline uh, by late Tuesday, early Wednesday, maybe maybe late Wednesday at the latest. Like an outline, in by exegetical outline, you uh, mean an outline of the text itself? The text outline, yeah. So yeah. There's, this, there's an exegetical outline yeah. that every text has, one designed by the Holy Spirit, and that it's discoverable by anybody who will spend time. It's pretty much the same uh no matter who's doing <laughs> who's writing the yeah. you know exegetical outline but then there's a homiletical outline the the, the preaching outline it's the homiletics of it and so that is personal the homiletic yeah. outline is what i use to that i think this is this outline is what sun valley church needs and that's what people see that's what they see sunday morning and the exegetical outline often doesn't follow you know so i'm you know, our Roman numeral one, you don't, if you're going to have a point A, you have to have a point B. Or, and then if you're going to have a sub point one, you have to have a sub point two. That's the way they teach outlines in English class. But scripture doesn't work that way. Scripture, sometimes it does, sometimes it doesn't. Right. And, and so in uh, the Old Testament, it doesn't nearly as much as in the New Testament. Paul was a Greek, he's a Westerner like us. The Hebrews were not. And so their outlines don't look anything like Paul's. And so there's a difference there, and that's kind of goes to your question about genre. Mm -hmm. So there's a difference in how you would come up with an exegetical outline from Old and New Testament, and even the different types of genre within the, each testament. And so you got to pay attention to that. And but the exegetical outline, I mean, if all three of us did a, a serious study of any text that was assigned to us, we would each the, our outlines, exegetical outlines, would be very, very similar. It's because I mean. 
there's one outline there. It's the Holy Spirit's it's, designed yeah. it. Yeah. Um, but the homiletical outline would be completely different. All three of ours would be completely different. Right. Yeah, and that's where the art comes into it. Yes. The science, that's okay. So you could look at the exegetical outline. You know, what is the outline? So, so, you know, why, you know, how are these ideas in verses four through six supporting the bigger idea in verse three? And one way to kind of get at an exegetical outline is to look at, in your translation, you know, English translation, the paragraph divisions. Mm -hmm. Um, And then within the paragraphs, figuring out, how are you know certain ideas in this paragraph supporting the main idea of the paragraph? Mm-hmm. That's kind of a way that you can start to get into that, uh, and that's the science part, mm-hmm. right? And there's and there's you know most of these um, uh, people who write commentaries, commentators, they produce an outline yeah. at the beginning of each book, and that is very very helpful. Yeah. It saves you some time. And so you look at that and you see, and, and there's variants, a little variance, and those are those are really more closely related to exegetical outlining than homiletical outlining. Yeah. Homiletical outline is your personal take on the on that passage. Right. Right. And how am I gonna preach it? Yeah. How am I gonna teach it? Um, but the exegetical outline, you go to any of the guys that we know well. Um, and they're really close mm-hmm. to each other. There may be a, uh, they may add this verse or two to under that point or the other, but in terms of the the general flow of the text, they're all, yeah, right there. Yeah. And then it's the homiletical outline that is what you see printed at the back of your bulletin each yep. week. Mm-hmm. And the idea behind a, an outline, a homiletical outline, a preaching outline, is how can you most um, memorably and helpfully take the exegetical outline and preach it to people in a way that they're going to be able to take it away and know for sure and be able to answer the question that night, what was the main idea yeah. from this text yeah. that I heard yeah. preached this morning? And, and, and beyond the main idea, the application of that to my day, mm-hmm. to my life. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because if you, if you stop with, you know, which is the first two of the three uh, steps of Bible study, which observation, interpretation, application. If you just stop with observation or interpretation, you haven't completed the Bible study. Yeah. You haven't yeah. completed the intent of the author, which is change, right? So yeah. The scriptures were given for our good, so our, for our change, for our, our um, movement towards Christ-likeness, becoming like Jesus. And so... If your sermon or, or lesson doesn't end with ways to apply the scripture that they've been exposed to, mm-hmm. then then you've you've missed yeah. the author's intent. Yeah, yeah. Well, every... well, you've missed yeah the author's intent and the whole point of scripture, right? Which is changing yeah. of every the heart. single verse yeah. is meant to be implanted in in the lives of right. believers because it's all leading somewhere. Right. So even when, even if you're sermon is focused mostly on expounding a doctrine that doctrine is going to have an implication yep and that's got to be unearthed otherwise you haven't pastored fully yeah right yeah so right now i'm I'm reading through uh jc ryle's uh, commentary on luke okay and so he his exegetical outline is going to be the same as 
anybody from today. Very right? close. Very close to a MacArthur or yep. a Sproul or any of those. Yep. But his applications from that text are going to be different because he's dealing with different things in different times compared right. to... Right. And that, even from John MacArthur to Sun Valley Church will have... Sure, sure. And that doesn't... And it should, right? Because yeah. he's got a different flock than we have. Yeah. And so... Uh, you know, you've, you've got to have different application. I mean, that's the beauty of the scriptures. Uh, you have you have principles that are laid out in each text that are applied differently to each circumstance. Yeah. And, so, and, and this happens within sermons. So I was talking to, I think, Deb the other day about um, how you can be sitting in the sanctuary listening to a sermon, listening to it applied at the end of the sermon or at some point within the sermon and the person next to you is hearing the same application and taking away something completely different. Mm-hmm. That's the Holy Spirit working. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I could, I could, you know, say in a sermon, you know, so we have here from Ephesians five, the importance of being a Christ-like leader to our families and especially our wives. Jeremy, you might walk away saying, Oh man, I need to, I need to get out of bed and start studying the Bible myself so that I have, some some uh, content yeah. to speak to my family or to live out in front of my family. Rick might say, "Man, I need to I need to make sure that I'm leading my family in, in biblical devotions every night." Two different applications, same right. principle. Right. And so that's what happens, and the Holy Spirit does that. Yeah. You know, I can't I can't tell you. I might be able to tell you two guys because I know you so well, but I couldn't tell the the average Joe in our church, this is how you need to hear this application. Yeah. I just present the application that's afforded by the Holy Spirit in the scriptures of that text and let the Holy Spirit do his work in the lives of his people. Yeah. 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 So. so, Rick, your your approach to um, you know studying the text that you're going to preach on a particular week is different from how John studies it uh, in the sense of, uh, you know, he has his logos, he has his different methods that he uses. You have a different method where you get a bunch of pieces of paper out and you do, what do you do? Oh, yeah, and so and so you're right. It is different and it's not. Yeah. So that's where the science and the art thing comes into it because we're both going through a very similar process, the, the, the science of it part, the exegesis. Right. But it, what makes sense to John and how he best organizes that is going to be different than mine. Sure. So for me, um, you know, I've tried a number of different ways of doing study over the years and realized that, you know, as I'm, I like to write things down by hand. Um, it just helps me slow down. Otherwise I'm thinking too ahead too quickly mm-hmm. and I miss things. And so one of the best things I ever did, um, probably five or six years ago was take a, a class on sentence diagramming or English grammar um, from us at a seminary online and what that really gave me the tools to do and what I've been doing ever since is whenever I'm going to study a passage to preach um, I do I tape together maybe 12 pieces of white paper and make a big poster and I can fold it up take it with me anywhere I'm going but um, I I will first thing is sentence diagram the English text into a big flow, uh, and I'll organize it in a flow of thought. Mm-hmm. And so what I'm trying to do is basically diagram it according to what it seems the exegetical outline is. So not each verses and not each diagram is going to be flush to the left. Sure. It'll 
you know, this one's indented. Why? Because it's explaining this phrase up here. And then this one's explaining this. And then you go back. And so that's, for me, it helps me to see it all at one spot. And then I go back like John does and with Logos and try to really dig into as much as I'm able to the, the original text of it. Sure. And then do word studies. And I'm taking all my notes in different colored fountain pens that I have color coded in my own mind what they mean mm-hmm. um, right there on that poster. And then try to, all that's working toward getting a big idea. Like, what is the main idea that this text is intended to convey? Um, and then. Uh, and those things basically show up on the left margin. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If you're outlining. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And then. Um, the commentaries come into it for both of us uh, along the way after we've done that work, really wrestling with it ourselves to basically, um, help us get a sense of whether or not we've discovered something that no one ever has, in which case everybody's been wrong. I mean, we're probably wrong. Um, or, you know, just to confirm, Hey, this is, we're not probably wrong. We are wrong. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. (laughs) If if you've come up with something new, (laughs) I found it. (laughs) If Johnny Mac had just made it to his 53rd year in ministry, he would have seen this too, you know. And that and that serves to help you see things you didn't yeah. because you don't have the experience or as much as these guys have have been doing it longer. Yeah. But it also Well, we start sentence diagramming in junior high, right? That's when you start diagramming sentences. Um, and, and There's a reason I took that class a few years ago. Yeah, and some classes in high school and <laughs> so college. You, if you're in English, you do sentence diagramming. And so that's the parts of speech. They, they, they come into the forefront of your view right. when you're doing sentence diagramming yeah. because that's your divisions. Yeah. You know? And that's the grammatical part of the grammatical, historical, literal yeah. method of interpreting. Yeah. You have which to is... understand the language if you're going to understand what's the other writing. Well, right? Yeah. And right. so you want your hermeneutics, your approach to scripture to be the same approach that the biblical authors took with other scriptural writings because scripture was not written at once, right? It was written over 1500 years and the later authors, even in the old Testament are looking back at previous revelation and carrying it further on its intended course, which means that they're interpreting the previous writings and the method is there for us. And what that method is from, you know, the apostles and the prophets is the literal grammatical historical method. You're looking at, what genre is it? What is the relationship of the words to each other? What words did God choose to use? What do they mean? And then what's the context in yeah. history? Those things help you get to the idea that God put there and that the human authors put there. Yeah, and that's and when you're talking about outlining a, a, a sentence or a verse, uh, that's why people who have a scientific method of Bible study, exegetical method of Bible study, come to the same outlines, exegetical outlines, is because there's only really one way to interpret this, you know, after that preposition comes. (laughs) And so you have to, you, that's how all these different authors, you know, from the time the canon was closed until today, have essentially the same exegetical outlines. It's because they're doing this very method. They're taking the scriptures, outlining them according to the grammar yeah. of the verse and coming to the conclusion that the author intended. Yeah. And so you discover that and write it down and there's your exegetical outline. And then you're able to build your homiletical outline from that. Yeah. Yeah. 
So this is this is why commentaries are are important for you guys as you as you prepare, right? Sure. Yeah. And, and not all and different commentaries have different functions. Like there there are some commentaries that really emphasize um, digging into the grammar. You know, they're called they're technical really, commentaries. Yeah, is what they are. They're going to help digging into the like the original the Greek, original language. Hebrew. Okay. Yeah, and and there there's some that are written for primarily English in, English. Uh, English people only. who are really know just English, and they they do a good job of bridging the gap mm-hmm. for you. But they're looking at well, here's where these interpreters think that this particular word or phrase is supporting this, and others take this approach, and they'll let you know what are the options, mm-hmm. and then give you the data so that you can, as you're prayerfully studying, make the decision you believe is most faithful. You may get it wrong, but at least you know it's there because. Not everybody has agreement on all the points of how it flows together, sure. but the encouraging part is that most of the time they do. <laughs> and, and most commentators have a theological opinion. Yep. And they will defend that yeah. in their writings. And it's not wrong to to read a commentator that you may disagree with theologically. In fact, I found it helpful. Um, but they all have a theological persuasion that they try to defend, and and they're their takeaway, their application, even even their principle building is different from others. But their exegetical outline is pretty similar yeah. to, well, I mean, this is what he said, and here is three main points. Now, how I, how I interpret that, that's where we begin to change, you yeah. know, kind of divert from whoever we yeah. disagree with. What is meant by what is said. Yeah. yeah, but you, know, you got to start with what is said. What is said, and you learn that by looking at the language. And and the more you can handle the original language, the easier it is because it's closer to, sure, you know what's being taught sure. or written about. But sure. you know, the most people who are studying scripture aren't going to know that, right? So, like, I I wasn't planning on going into pastoral ministry, so I didn't study the languages at Bible school. Um, I'm so grateful for the tools available, and I'm wanting to get a lot deeper into that, Mm -hmm. you know, here, but, um, there's some, most people are going to be studying their English Bible and you go a long way with that, including Mm -hmm. reading a a lot of different translations to see, is there, that will alert you to where there may be something you need to look into deeper because there seems to be a real divergence here at this particular verse of how to translate. And you can do that. And the commentaries are helpful. Um, for me, I think the number one thing that helps me um, and I would encourage listeners to to do, and this is why a sentence diagram is because it, it takes time and it's tedious, yes, but I can't begin to really express how helpful it is to just slow down sure. and pour over the text. Sure. And that, when you do that, that's the Holy Spirit works in that if you're doing it prayerfully. To, to because you're sitting there actually contemplating things that if you're just speeding over it, you're just not going to find. And it's not because they weren't there. Sure. It's that you didn't give it the time. Sure. Scripture oh. is a com- is God's conversation with us. We, we are hearing him in the scriptures, yeah. and then we respond to him in prayer. Yeah, so not to discourage people who don't know Greek and Hebrew, um, you need to know that 90% of the commentaries are accessible Yeah. to yeah. English readers. Yeah. So you don't have to be a scholar to find commentaries useful. Mm-hmm. There's about 10% of the commentaries that if you don't know the language, the original languages, you're going to struggle with. But 
you don't need those 10% to come to an understanding of the text. Those are really more academically oriented commentaries. Yeah, and, and I think it's it's good to note, too, that the ones that are more meant for the layperson mm-hmm. will hint at, they will, they will acknowledge some of these Greek words that are important in the particular text, and mm-hmm. they'll explain it in a... Well, that's what I was just going to say, Jeremy. That's a good point. As most good commentaries will highlight you know, difficult texts or difficult words. So you don't have to even be a student of of word studies. Mm -hmm. I mean, word studies are popular nowadays because it makes you sound smart. But if you have a good commentary, every good commentary alerts you to important words. Mm -hmm. If they don't, they're not a good commentary. (laughs) And so, so, you know, if a guy is just all about a devotional approach to the word, which is fine, but never talks about you know, challenging concepts or words, it's probably not a good one to study the Bible with. It might be good to have a devotion with that commentary, but if you're studying the word, you need to have a commentary that has proven to be effective in highlighting, bringing up challenging phrases or concepts, or at least words. This word has been interpreted this way by that guy and this way by that guy. Here is why it should be this way. You, you need to have commentaries in your possession that do that. Right. And like I said, most of them do. There are some exceptions that are actually designed to be devotional commentaries. Yeah. You read them along with your Bible reading or something yeah. like that. And, and that's, that's different. But when you're studying the Bible, you need to have a, a trustworthy commentary that's going to highlight things that you wouldn't be able to get to because you don't know the language. Mm-hmm. You don't know Greek. You don't know Hebrew. And those are readily available. They're all over the place. They're for free, even on the internet. Yeah. And that's and so you can do you can go so much farther than most of the people in church history without spending a dollar. Get the free the free Logos package online from Logos Bible Software. And how many commentaries are free yeah, oh, online? So well, Blue Letter Bible, Blue Letter Bible dot I think org or dot com. But anyways, Blue Letter Bible gives you a, just a wealth of original language, you know, concordance, word study materials commentaries you can go a long way mm-hmm. and um, even Stephen Lawson you know who's a veteran preacher um, just an expert at ex- Bible exposition he, he on his expository um, podcast for preachers has said on numerous occasions that one of his first stops after he's done his initial study is his stack of study Bibles mm-hmm. because those are really you know what are what's the meat of those are commentaries. Right. The study notes are commentaries, right. and it's going to just distill the main things there. Right. And that you can get a really good sense and go a long way after your initial and study. You get a good study Bible. With study Bibles like the MacArthur Study Bible, the ESV Study Bible. Um, there's a number of them. The Gospel Transformation Bible is pretty good, though it's written. There are others that aren't so great. So, <laughs> The Joyce Meyer. Study Bible is my favorite one to discourage Joel people. Joel for today. <laughs> Tongues for you, Study Bible. Yeah. <laughs> well, we we are uh, pushing our limits here with this podcast. Um, I think I want to leave here with application for the people because I think people could walk away from listening to this podcast going, I don't know if I've actually been studying the Bible right uh, and that very well could be the case. How would you encourage the people to um, not just read the Bible, but to actually dive deeper into their study of, of God's Word? That's another podcast, Jeremy. 
But well, we could save that for uh, the podcast. Spend time in it, right? Read it, pray over it, ask the Holy Spirit to guide you, uh, have uh, accessible commentary near you. Matthew Henry's wonderful, yeah. and he's free. <laughs> um, and you know, just just try pay attention to what's being said. Don't just read it, you know, not blindly, but you know, you to check off, you know, your daily Bible reading. Mm-hmm. That, that that's not Bible study. You know, you got to ask questions: who, what, where, when, why. What, what's going on here? Who's, yeah. who's involved? Those just those five questions: who, what, when, where, why are are really helpful and go a long ways in understanding the text more yeah. clearly. Um, and then after you've done your personal investigation and praying over, maybe trying to outline just from reading the English text, then you can go to Matthew Henry. And and sometimes you need to go to him earlier, or you know, pick another commentator that's accessible for you. Maybe you have a copy of MacArthur or, you know, J.C. Ryle. You know, that those are really good things to have. Um, but, you know, they have seminaries for a reason. And you need to, if you want to really go crazy in this and make this a calling in your life or you believe it's a calling in your life, then you maybe need to go a little deeper than this two-minute answer that I'm giving you. <laughs> That was seminary level, though, John. So, <laughs> um, so from time to time, we offer a hermeneutics Sunday seminar. So I'd say if you haven't been in it, next time we offer it, do that. Um, and just come to any Sunday seminar. Yeah. That's product of Bible study. Sure. Right? <laughs> yeah. And if you want to really delve church. into, like, how can I start to get some good practices in my own Bible reading, um, a great book that's small, it's maybe 150 pages that walks you through really pretty much the whole process of hermeneutics and how to do it is called Journey into God's Word by Scott Duvall and Daniel Hayes. Um, I might even try to grab a couple copies for the church bookshelf. There's one out there right now I just that I put out a couple weeks ago called How to Read the Bible for All It's Worth, hmm. and it gets into the, all these things. Um, and then, of course, if, you, if anybody wants to actually say, well, what does it look That's like? That's Gordon Fee, right? To, uh, Fee and Stewart, yeah. Yeah. Uh, to walk through what does it look like, how can I start to study according to the things that you guys are sharing. Um, sure. I've got a whole guide that I use to give to our leadership development guys to, to as a kind of a check checklist or a cheat sheet of what does the process look like. Come talk to us. I'm, I'm pretty sure that most pastors would be really happy to meet with anybody who said, can you help me study the Bible more? Mm, yeah. <laughs> you can actually draw on those resources. Yeah. So, yeah. Well, that's awesome. Thank you guys for letting us get a glimpse into your your studies of, you know, for Sunday mornings and, and preparing for sermons and how we can grow in our study of the Word. So thank you. Glad to. Well, church, we look forward to being with you uh, this Sunday as we continue our study through the Book of Mark and next week on The Voice of the Valley. Have a great day.